Hi, it's me again. So, yes, it is still September, and you know what that means. Um, if you would rather not hear me talk about uh, certain subjects like suicide and depression and all of that stuff that comes up during uh, National Suicide Prevention Month, um, you can just go ahead and skip this episode. Uh, once again, no judgment. I think I said this in the last Halloween special that I'm working on. I, I also said like, yeah, no judgment there. I understand it is a difficult subject. And at one point in my life, I wasn't ready to hear about such things. So it's all about where you are in your journey. Ugh, I hate saying that word. But, um, yeah, let's get into this. Um, so I realize I should elaborate about something that I mentioned in the last episode. Uh, the times when I was talking about a school counselor, my main critique there with her was, um, for her to maybe not have just, like, lied to me like it felt like she was lying it felt like she was just making shit up as she went to try and I don't know get me out of her office faster um when all she really needed to say was yeah I can't help you goodbye and that that would have been a thousand times better but uh actually she did more damage uh than good so no so it's just really stupid sometimes and uh yeah i wanted to tell you about the very first time that i ever had therapy ever so it was not a traditional therapy where you go into an office um and they take you into a room and talk to you face to face sitting down it, it wasn't like that it was i heard an ad somewhere where you the the big gimmick was that you could um it was a specialized service all done on your phone where you could uh text your therapist at any time of the day whenever you want and um this appealed to me because it was my first time trying anything like this i was very scared i did not know what to expect I didn't know how it was going to go. I didn't even know if it was going to be a positive experience, which it didn't turn out to be. Um, and what I was most afraid of was somebody judging me. Um, so so the, the aspect that I could just anonymously kind of text somebody without them knowing who I am, without them seeing my face, uh, it felt less dangerous and less vulnerable to me that way and uh i at that point i was still trying to protect myself but i was still at the same time hurting myself so if you can kind of grasp that concept in your mind um me hurting myself was nothing you know that that's act that was actually it felt like nothing somebody else hurting me felt a thousand times worse it felt like I, I don't know the worst thing in the world so to cut myself was nothing but for somebody to judge me was everything so 
so yeah, super vulnerable young woman trying to find trying to find out what the fuck, you know, how do I get help? I came to this service, I signed up, and um, I started texting this therapist. And one of the questions, they ask you a lot of questions to get started, of course. And uh, one of the questions that I a- or they asked was, uh, have you ever been to therapy before? And I answered, no. So that should have been, like, number one, that should have been, like, a kind of a red flag, kind of a warning to them, like, hey... This person doesn't know what they're doing. They don't know what to expect. You know, maybe we should kind of like hold their hand a little bit and help them ease into the process a little bit. Um, If they have questions or need help, like it's there. But I didn't feel like that happened. Um, I think at one point during our talk, she, my my therapist that I was matched with, uh, she did ask if I wanted to try talking to somebody else um but I I didn't see why we should stop um I didn't understand what she was kind of referring to so I responded in this way of like oh you know we just started talking to each other um I feel like I want to give you a chance you know stuff like that I didn't know what I was saying. I, the first ever therapy session, you know, you get it. So, so yeah, that, looking back on it now, I think what she was trying to do was politely tell me, like, hey, I don't think I'm ready for this. I don't think this is a good match. Maybe you should, you, you should definitely go seek somebody else because I'm not the one, you know. Uh, So once again, I fall victim to these people who aren't setting their boundaries, aren't letting me know like, hey, this is where I'm at and this is where you're at and we're not meeting up, you know, we're not matching up. But uh, once again, it's a person who thinks that they can just take on everything. I, I I couldn't tell you what was going through her mind. Sorry, just taking a drink there. Um, okay, so, so yeah, I think we both were in the wrong, um, I was in a crisis mode, you know, I was, I was telling her, like, yeah, I'm having suicidal thoughts pretty regularly, um, this is, like, my day-to-day, this is how depressed I am, what I'm feeling, what I'm thinking, and, uh, and we got, we did get into, like, I sent her very long texts about my past, uh, abusive past. Um, and I think it's important to say that it was, it was mental abuse. It wasn't physical abuse because a lot of the times uh, when people hear women talk about uh, themselves being abused, they assume automatically that it's sexual in nature. Uh, but that wasn't the case for me. So yeah, I I talked with this person quite a bit. I I believe it was maybe a month or so. I I remember paying for their service um, quite a lot, and uh, yeah. So it went on. It kept going on for a really long time, and I felt like I was doing most of the talking, but she wasn't really like adding anything or really just like 
giving me any like she it it just wasn't working i i guess um and you know i got to telling her about you know how my mom she found this lady um in the in a newspaper ad probably and uh she talked to her in person and she seemed fine um she was like this elderly woman who had a previous experience at a daycare so she had worked with children before and now she's just running her own like babysitting at home and uh should have been one of the hugest red flags for my mom that she wanted her to take me to her house so so the lady wasn't showing up at our house to take care of me in my own space in my own home no 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 she she wanted my mom to drive me to her house and then drop me off basically and then my mom would come pick me up so so that was a huge red flag don't don't ever do that um and yeah i basically went into telling this therapist like yeah she really mentally abused me very badly and i think that's why i have so many problems now and i have depression now and uh it's getting to the point where i want to kill myself and um <sighs> she she asked me like how do you what's your relationship with your mom and so that is something that i'm i'm very sure of now i don't know how i felt about it back then i i feel like i was kind of on the fence about it maybe like i was still trying to like possibly give my mom a chance um at at recuperating some sort of relationship maybe or maybe I was already past that. I can't really remember the point where I was just like, you know what, this isn't working for us. Let's just cut it out. Um, but but actually, I think I was to that point because what the therapist said that was kind of like the final straw for me was that I should um, I should forgive my mom or just like she was very critical of our relationship. Um, and it seemed like it was more personal than professional. Like, she was, like, judging me for my having thoughts and feelings like that about my mom. Like, oh, you know, this, this person hasn't really been a good role model for me and hasn't really been a mom to me. So now I just kind of am in the process of saying goodbye and and you know giving up on this relationship forever because i've tried so much to recuperate it and it hasn't gone anywhere so 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 she she was very she pushed back a lot on that and um that upset me because i just you know all my life and i th i feel like this goes for everyone who's struggled with depression and suicidal thoughts we just want to be understood we just want to be told, like, you know what, that was fucked up, I'm sorry. That's all we want. Like, it's not that hard, sis, but, uh, yeah, this lady was, like, super judgmental about that. And, uh, what else? She just kept saying, like, oh, I think you should forgive her, you know. So she, she and she, w uh, she was immediately, like, 
like right after I told her, like, yeah, my mom basically hired this person, she, this stranger she didn't know off of a newspaper and she abused me right away and my mom didn't let me know, like, hey, if anything weird happens, you can talk to me about it. Like, <laughs> so I just like kept it to myself for the longest time thinking it was my fault. And then when I finally told my mom, she was like, oh, well, I can't take you away right away. I, I need to find a replacement. So I had to keep going to her place until my mom could find somebody to take me in. Like, it wasn't an emergency or anything. Like, she sent me back after she learned that the abuse was ongoing. And right after that, the therapist was like, oh, you should forgive her. So I feel like that was really callous and unprofessional and judgmental. And, um... I only tried one therapist, you know, the, the service, with those services, you should probably go through several, and even if you're just doing a regular therapy face-to-face -face session with somebody, you should also go through several before you find your one, but I was young, I had never tried this before, and I was very hurt, I was hurting very much, and any little thing that people would say would just just hurt me even more and kind of like push me even further toward that edge. Um, like I said, I was in a crisis mode, so it's not like I was thinking rationally. It's not like I had any guidance on this. Um, so yeah, and <laughs> it just, it got a lot worse. And then basically what I told her one day is like, yeah, I'm gonna stop this service, you know, I'm gonna cancel my service, um, I don't think it's working, I think I'm wasting my money, and she very coldly responded something back, and that was it, you know. So, so yeah, I, I tell this story in kind of like a warning way of like, yeah, don't expect the very first person you talk to to be the one that gets it and will I, I don't know that they'll just be like perfect for you in a way because it, it doesn't work that way you have to I don't know you have to fit in with somebody like a like a puzzle piece fitting together it has to click and it can't be like that person can't I, I really don't know how to explain it other than just like trust that you know that you're right like if somebody in your life like a like a parental figure if your relationship with them has been souring for years and you you've been trying to revive it all this time and it's just it's still not working uh, trust that you know what's right and if you know in your heart that it's never gonna work then it's never gonna work like no, no amount of people telling you like oh just forgive them and you know it's it's family you should I don't know whatever the fuck and whatever kind of bullshit that they talk about just don't really listen to that because it's their own personal bias and they're not really seeing the forest through the trees like they're they're not really like they don't, they just don't get it they don't understand and that's okay that's how humans are we're very fucked up in that way of like sometimes we just can't we don't get it 
So if you are at the point where you're looking to try therapy for whatever reason, you know, it, it can be for several reasons. Um, if you're at that point, just, just remember, like, keep yourself grounded and don't let other people, like, sway you this way and that because that's, that's where I was. I didn't have a, any ground to stand on. I was just, like, kind of lost at sea, like, wherever the waves are taking me, I'm going. It's very, a very dangerous life. Like, I'm not tethered to anything. Anything could happen at any moment. Like, I was, I was suicidal. So it's like when you're in that position, people don't understand. I guess they they think they know what to say to you, but they actually don't. And that ends up hurting you more. And it's just like this vicious cycle that keeps repeating itself. And the other important thing is to remember that some people are motivated by money. If they can keep you talking for longer and longer and just keep like stringing you along, I guess to get more money out of you. Sometimes that's a factor. Now, I'm not saying that that lady, that's what she was doing. And, you know, not everybody who works in these professions is a good person, you know? Sometimes they are looking to take advantage of people. So just, you know, if something doesn't feel right, you probably just need to see somebody else. So if if it, if you're hitting a wall with that therapist and you, if you're just going nowhere and they keep they seem like they're trying to push you too much or they're not doing enough or they're just very passive about everything or they're just very um, controlling or judgmental about things. Like, it's, it's time to move on. It's time to find somebody else and it's not your fault. Because I, if every little thing was my fault, every little problem that occurred, it was my fault because I, that had been ingrained in me. Like, so I'll tell you how that happened like from from the beginning like after the abuse ta abuse happened at six uh, from there on it was this ongoing battle to make my parents believe that I wasn't lying to them that I was really seriously in need of help and that this wasn't any trivial thing to play with it was a real problem and so I fought them for years um, I, I don't know when it ended, probably when I moved out, I guess, I, I don't know, uh, whenever I got off my mom's insurance, maybe that's when it happened, I, I don't know, but, um, but yeah, for the longest time I was battling them with that, you know, the things that people say to us have great effect when you are in that, in that zone, in that stage of, like, depression and being suicidal, the things that people say to you, it has so much weight. It carries so much weight. Um, you ca you care a thousand times what, what everybody thinks and what everyone says. And the people who you, who you confide in, um, it's already hard to confide in them, but when you do, you get double hurt because they say something bad and what my parents would do is they would try to guilt me or shame me into into like running them into the poorhouse basically like oh you're gonna make us lose all our money if we send you to therapy 
it's gonna be so expensive it's gonna be costly like you don't really need to see a professional over something that's mental only if you're physically hurt like do you need to actually see somebody but uh yeah that that was the thinking so so when you're told that over and over again um basically what happens is that you you think to yourself like well okay these these problems keep occurring in my life and i feel like shit um what's what's going on here why why does my life suck and so you in a very human way you try to find the solution to the problem and when you're depressed the answer is oh it's my fault like just like that's where your mind goes like oh it's it's all of this is my fault and it didn't help with the shaming and the guilt thing that they did um so yeah it really surprises me that a parent can do that to their child and think it's okay but you know i've definitely gone through this thing of like rationalization of their actions and really just gone over it in my head a million times like why did they have this reaction why did they react this way why was it and uh, usually the answer was well because you're a piece of shit and you should go kill yourself but uh, the other times when I was actually thinking rationally it was probably because the, the most likely answer is because they are from another time they are from a time when people didn't know that mental health was a thing and they didn't treat it at all <laughs> or in a very poorly outdated way like it it just wasn't a thing and it was very stigmatized to go see a shrink or a therapist like that was you you must be crazy if you're seeing a, somebody like that you must be wackadoo in the mind like it, it's just like whatever like probably everyone needs to see a therapist at some point in their life like it's not it doesn't mean that you're insane but that's probably what they're the the knowledge that they're going off of and my parents weren't the kind of people to want to uh do a lifelong learning kind of sentiment kind of way of life like they prided themselves on, oh, I know what's best for my children, I don't need to research any of this, I don't need to consult a professional about any of this, I know what's going on, I know what's best, this is the way we did it back in our day, that kind of bullshit. And I hope that you never take that approach to raising a child because it was incredibly damaging and I almost lost, lost my life. And I'm sure it would have been very tragic for my family, like, to know that that happened. And, um, you know, part of that was the reason why I ultimately didn't do it, is thinking about how it would affect people in my family. So, so yeah, but, but just, uh, just think about that really deeply and, and long, uh, about how you can affect family members in your family like it's it's a lot better to take it seriously right away than to blow it off because that's where the danger happens that's where the oh well 
guess what happened? They, they're dead. Like, they killed themselves. There's no going back now. There's no fixing it. And then that's when the regret happens. Like, oh. You definitely don't want that. Because I've... I, I looked up a lot of, um... A lot of stories that people tell about their family members dying and how they have coped with it and their thoughts and their feelings about it. And that's usually what happens. is like they they really regret what they say. So just remember, it can happen to you. It can happen in your family. And it's not some faraway thing that's happening to other people. It can happen to you. So be very careful about how you talk to people. And I know this is a cliche, but you never know what they're going through. You just don't. And uh, they can be the most they can hide it really well, too. They can be the type of person who doesn't tell you anything. Um, maybe they don't come to you. Maybe they just put on this facade. Um, and, and in those cases, like, yeah, there's probably not much you could have done about that either because they didn't come to you about it and they didn't let you know about it. But just, yeah, just be really careful with people. Part of it is seeing how things have changed so much. Uh, that is a good thing. That is a very positive thing that I, I look to for hope and inspiration. Um, a lot more people are talking about uh, their mental health now and being more open about it and not feeling ashamed to talk about those things. Like, I, I don't know, like, back in my day, it was just kind of, like, taboo, especially where I was living, the Midwest. Like, it's just, you don't talk about that shit. And, you know, heaven forbid that you have issues, real human issues that you need to deal with and you need help with. Like, that's just not allowed. I was sweating so much that I had to go run and uh, take my uh, long sleeve and long pants off because I was just sweating so much and I'm I'm still just really hot because uh, unfortunately we don't have our fall weather yet it's still kind of like summery on certain days and hot and humid and ew I hate it but yeah I'm feeling a little better now I have some water Yeah, all of, all of that is to say, um, if you are struggling right now and if you are having suicidal thoughts, um, keep, keep reaching out. Um, and if you haven't reached out to anyone, if you've never told anyone about any of your problems like that, uh, definitely start, start doing that. Just try, like, one, one person a day. Try talking to them about it and see where that gets you and if it goes nowhere, if it fails, if they make you feel like shit, just move on, you know, forget about that person, they're not gonna help you. Um, so, so yeah, just keep, keep doing that and then if you have health insurance and if you live in a country that has, um, monetized healthcare, I don't know how to say it, um, healthcare that costs money, um, just 
start the process of looking for a therapist. Where is the closest office that you can go to um, that'll take your insurance? Um, that sort of thing. I think there's a number on the back of your insurance card that you can call and ask like what therapists are available who take that insurance specifically. I think you can search online. You can do all sorts of stuff and I know from experience that it is incredibly difficult. Um, so I feel for you. It's a very hard thing to do. Uh, but keep trying with that. Even if you don't get anywhere with making a phone call or an appointment, just research it. Keep looking, keep looking for the right person and write those names down, write those phone numbers down, and eventually you want to get work yourself up to actually call and uh, set an appointment. So it's not going to be right away. Your problems aren't going to be just like with a magic wand. It's not going to go away right away. It's going to be a long process and uh, it's going to be incredibly difficult. Uh, I feel like people don't nearly talk about that as much. Ugh, I, I don't know. It's, it's really hard for people to do this shit. I feel like nobody talks about that. So, so yeah, it's, it's going to be one of the most difficult things you've ever gone through, but I'll tell you that it's worth it. Um, it's, it's worth it to feel better. It's, it's worth it to feel like you're not going to spontaneously combust every hour on the hour. Like just keep reaching out to people until you find that person that is going to make you feel better, you know, uh, that you actually get somewhere with. Uh, and, and don't give up on that process because ultimately that is what's going to save you is just keep, keep at it until you find it. Guys, it is extra spooky because I have several large spiders crawling around, currently crawling around the floor in my home. Uh, what did you think that they were going to insulate the house? Oh, fuck no. Uh, they just crawl in through the cracks between the doors and and the windows, and they just come on in. Uh, we live in a in a very rural area, and uh, this house is hmm, fairly old in construction. Probably not built the best, you know. So we don't have much much insulation here, and that's how they get in. And uh, my husband has been working his ass off so much that he has had no time to go around and treat the house. So it's not like they die right away once they get in here. Uh, they, uh, they just uh, crawl around. They like to come out at night. And uh, yeah, they're, they're just having a big old Halloween party with me. I've, I've got guests over. So, uh, okay, I randomized it and we came across another 700 number. That really surprised me. Last time it was 710. This time it is 736, page 736, under the Halloween tag and a single chapter or one shot in English. Alright, I'm going to read these to you. Good Kitty, Bad Skag by Demonically Sassy. This is a Borderlands fanfiction. After putting on the Halloween costume that Jack had bought him, 
Riz no longer wanted to go to the company Halloween party. In all honesty, he really didn't want anyone seeing him in this abomination. And with the way Jack was feeling up his ass, he might not have to. And, and was that Timothy in the doorway dressed as a cat? Well, at least tonight wouldn't be boring. Head Above the Water by Falling Future. This is a Danganronpa, uh, Danganronpa 3, the end of Kibogamine Gakuin, or End of Hope's Peak High School. Uh, yeah. Makato gets a phone call he shouldn't have answered. Tease by Just DK. This is a Raven Cycle Maggie Stiefvater fanfiction. Ronan's Halloween costume gets Adam all hot and bothered. Holy Moly, Me Oh My by Deerstalker Death Frisbee. This is a Voltron Legendary Defender fanfiction. Quote, I should head back home, Lance sighs, but it's cold outside. Borrow a scarf. Keith, you beautiful dumb tomato. Why am I a tomato? When someone says, I should head back, but, insert lame excuse here, they typically don't actually want to leave. Lance, would you like to stay the night since apparently the three feet from my door to yours is so unbearably cold despite it only being September that you cannot contemplate going outside? Why, yes, Keith, I would. Five times Keith didn't get it and one time he did. The One with the Treats by Mickey Mouse. This is a Teen Wolf TV fanfiction. Styles really hadn't wanted to go to Satomi's Interpack Halloween party. He'd spent the best he'd spent the past week trying to summon up a horrible illness or some other excuse, but all he'd managed was a slightly scratchy throat that lasted all of two hours. So here he was, trudging into the huge manor house where Satomi hosted the Interpack Halloween party every year. Because Scott had given him puppy dog eyes and talked about making connections and foraging stronger bonds and other things that had Styles tuning out after two sentences. He didn't like the Interpack gatherings on a good day, and today was far from a good day because Derek Hale was going to be there. Purent, or Plurent by Tabby Essentially. This is an Inception 2010 fanfiction. Arthur fakes his death and goes deep underground. Eames unknowingly mourns him and brings flowers to his grave. Arthur hears word of this unknown figure haunting his grave and goes to investigate. Ice Cream Sundays and a Side of Night in Shining Armor by You and Me's. This is an Astro Band fanfiction. Dumb Man considers himself to be a patient person. He keeps his cool whenever the other party arrives an hour later after their agreed time of meeting. He keeps his cool when he's faced with cranky old people who complain and yell at him when they're told their expired coupons aren't valid anymore. His co-workers and classmates can also agree on this, hence why he is so confident in calling himself a patient person. He supposes that's what being a vampire does to you. 
Halloween Hookups Mortal Kombat Edition by Chris Chrisay So Smart. Uh, this is a BTS fanfiction. Finish him, Scorpion encouraged. You dumped your beer over the soldier's head and pushed him so that he fell to the ground. Flawless victory, Scorpion giggled. The Impersonation Game by French Key and J of Olympus. This is a Marvel Cinematic Universe The Avengers uh, fanfiction. Alright, we've got T-minus 26 minutes until the party starts, Bucky said. All we have to do is stay alive until then. If we can do that, we're gold. Bucky and Clint are meant to be at a costume party. Getting there in one piece is a little more difficult than either of them anticipated. One Night in Aldersbrunn by Ceasefire. This is an Overwatch video game fanfiction. After Dr. Junkenstein and his allies are defeated, the gunslinger and the archer decide to share a drink together and discover they have more in common than they thought. Um, the next one is a fan comic, so I don't know if I can actually read that one. It's uh, called Haunting by X57. This is a Kingsman movies uh, fan comic. While Michelle, <clears throat> sorry. While Michelle has been hired to clean a rundown mansion before renovations, Eggsy gets to stay there. Finding the gentleman from a portrait haunting his dreams at night is a bit of a surprise. I Won by Mitty. This is a The Walking Dead TV fanfiction. Beth reinvents Halloween for her and Daryl. Compromised by Diddy Wrights. This is a Batman... All media types, DCU, Batman Arkham video games, all media types, fan fiction, um, ancient memories of drunken knights sneaking in and out that very window in an effort to escape a long-suffering Alfred flashed through Bruce's mind, the ghosts of youthful passion, and he suppressed a smile as he gave a thoughtful look. I really should change that lock because it could let in unwanted guests, he offered Riley. Shrugging, Harvey adjusted the lapels of his split suit. Too late. A Walk in the Woods with Sukjin by Batsuaj. This is another BTS fanfiction. A mysterious stranger shows up at the Halloween party you're attending. When he suggests a walk in the woods, you don't let anything, not even your own fears, stop you from taking him up on the offer. That sounds dangerous. Of Halloween Socks and Poor Timing by Orphan Account. No one knew he was wearing... Oh, sorry, this is a Merlin TV fanfiction. No one knew he was wearing silly Halloween socks under his patent leather shoes. This is a art plus thick... Uh, thing, Tricks and Treats, Spooks and Scares by Marzana for Luna Riem, and it is a Nightmare Before Christmas 1993 fanfiction. They have waited and counted the days for Halloween, the most spookily wonderful time of the year. Learning New Charms by Tiger Silver, this is a Harry Potter fanfiction. Pansy sticks her nose in Draco's business. Frauding, snogging, Hogwarts closet, 
closet walls used here. Prompt thirty one or thirteen nights of smut. Okay. Um, Halloween Spirit by Perpetual Spinster. This is a Good Girls TV fan fiction. It's Halloween, and Rio isn't into the trick-or-treating tradition and childish nature of it all. But an incident makes him have to dig into his bag of tricks in order to settle a score and save the night from being a waste. Little Green Monster by Distraction Reaction. This is a Check, Please webcomic fanfiction. Five times Jack got jealous over Biddy, and one time Biddy did something about it. And our last one, Simply Halloween, by E. Solary. This is a Tom Clancy's Rainbow Six video games fanfiction. The Spetsnaz are having a Halloween party at a bar, and Alexander has decided on a couple's costume. Okay, well, I randomized five results for us to read. Um, but one of them uh, turned out to be that fan comic that we stumbled upon, and um, I did I did take a look at it just to make sure that it was a comic, and unfortunately it was only five panels, but uh, unfortunately it was an underage pairing. Um, it wasn't anything super explicit, but it was extremely wrong and uh, I was morbidly curious so I looked at the comments and um, I think there was maybe five comments most of them were positive and supportive only one of them was challenging what they were posting so uh, that's that's really sad if you know anybody who uses their drawing talent to create things like this, um, depictions of underage pairings. Um, if you if you know of people like this, please understand that they need help and they need to talk to somebody about these things because they are seriously, uh, they seriously need help. It, it, it is very serious. Um, so, so just, I don't know. Be be careful out there. That that was just so disgusting to stumble upon that um, during our our lovely little Halloween episode. So so yeah, uh, you know, being on this website uh, for fan fiction, it like any any hobby, um, like anything, it attracts weirdos. You know, and there's. There's a lot of places for people like this to hide on this website, unfortunately, because it is so old, because it is run by volunteer work. None of these things are being vetted. None of these things are being checked out, uh, simply probably because there's just too many people who are signed up on the website and there's too little volunteers to actually go through and check everything to make sure. So um, yeah, it's uh, it's pretty grim whenever, you, whenever I come across things like that. But uh, yeah, moving on though, uh, I'm gonna get started reading this fanfiction. 
Oh, I did want to say if um, if you're worried about me ever reading something like that on this podcast, I promise. Oh my God, I promise that I will never read a fan fiction that includes underage pairings. I'll also never read it if it includes non-con, which is non-consensual pairings. Um, I think there's one more. Oh, and I'm also not going to read it if it has incest in it. So I promise you, you will never hear about... You'll never hear me reading anything like that. I promise. So, uh, yeah. With that, let's continue on with our readings. Alright, I'm going to start with I Won by Midi. And this happens to be the 12th result. So it is a teen and up rating, F slash M, and it is strictly within the Walking Dead TV fandom. Author's Notes. This was a story I wrote on fanfiction.net on Halloween. It received little to no reviews, so I figured I'd put it on here and see how well it does. Alright, I'm gonna start. This one's pretty short, too. Daryl was feeling bored in... bored a hell... as hell, I think they meant? Playing cards wasn't as fun as it used to be when he was younger. But the excitement of learning on Beth's face made him carry on. They had been held up in this church-like place, and he couldn't complain. They could be held up in some shack with zero food and beds. He licked his lip as Beth made a move, and he watched how con concentrated she was for this. I know you're bored. Daryl looked up, his eyes squinting at the girl, her eyes still at the table and hands folding cards firmly. You don't know nothing, girl, he said with a huff, throwing his cards down. Damn, she did know him well, and they hadn't even been together for that long. She had a brain that that girl oh she had a brain that girl smarty smart ass at times but smart daryl looked over to see her blue eyes now staring right back he grunted a reply to her obvious hint of so okay so these people have been making their own calendars after last year's ended she said getting up from the table her body moved quickly through the kitchen snatching the paper from the wall it says here that Halloween is today. Daryl looked at her oddly. So, what's your point? My point is, we could have fun today, she said, behind those innocent eyes. Daryl was a bit worried as to what she meant. He learned not to expect the norm around Beth. He tilted his head as if to give her the push to go on. Well, I thought since, you know, trick-or-treating is now just a long-forgotten memory, she clasped her hands together in excitement that we'd just go around killing as many walkers as we can and collect fabric pieces from their clothes as a well as a as a way to tell who got the most. Daryl eyed her for a moment. Girl Beth dropped from excited to worried. Her eyes darted to meet his, as if to have some sort of hope shine through his eyes, any indication of approval. You speak my language, he smirked. Beth leaped up and hugged him in his chair, knocking him back a bit, but holding on. You're the best. So, daylight hunting? He said, chin on her shoulder. She... 
oh, sorry, her plastered grin was all he needed once he could see her face. Beth stabbed the walker swiftly in the skull as she feared Daryl was ahead. She dropped to her knees, using the blending knife to cut a corner from the infected's shirt. It was a bit sad that they were hunting those who were once alive, but she really knew those people were long since gone. She turned just in time to kick one in the shin to have it fall so she could plunge the knife in its skull. The sun was starting to trade places with the moon, and Beth found herself waiting on the porch for the man. She smiled when she saw him, walking up, crossbow over his shoulder. Ready to lose? He grunted at that. Ready to win is what I'm ready for, girl. He opened the door, allowing her to venture in first. Side note, never trust a man who calls you girl. Call me by my name. <laughs> That's what I really want. I don't like it when you call me girl. That's weird. He opened the door, allowing her to venture in first. She went to the kitchen and grabbed cups to fill with soda. She knew they both had to be, or, or, the other one that's bad is like, woman. Like, hand me that gun, woman. Like, oh my god, don't even, <laughs> don't even talk to that person. They're weird as fuck. Like, don't even. She knew they both had to be, had, had to have, had to have been parched after today. She handed the plastic cup over to him and chugged it down. She smiled when a small hiccup came from him. What are you laughing at, girl? He laid his bow down and emptied the plastic bag out, and it seemed hundreds of pieces fell onto the table. So... We haven't really discussed what the winner gets out of all this, he said, looking at the paler one. Well, think of something you want, and whoever wins can do it, she said, unsure of how how much sense it made. That, that makes a pretty good amount of sense. But Daryl nodded, so he must have made the connection. She watched as he counted his and her worry set in. She really wanted to win. 49, he muttered after a long count. F 49? She stumbled with words as she sat down. She dumped her bag and counted grimly. She knew she didn't win. 50, she looked up at him. I won! She jumped up and cheered at herself. Bullshit. Daryl started to recount hers. His disappointment evident. So what was your prize if you won? She said, sitting down to watch him. He looked pretty odd at her amount of kills, but said nothing of it. That I get the last jar of peanut butter. He crossed his arms. All right, victory girl, out with yours. Beth bit her lip. If it were said, she'd lose all nerve. She rose from her seat and walked across the short distance between them, her eyes locked on the floor, then to his lips. Daryl moved not one inch, as if he was a statue of himself. Little faced, little faced him. What is it? Beth looked into his eyes, the swirling orbs of colors that people hardly noticed. Her hands trembled as she tucked hair behind his ear and leaned in, planting a kiss to his lips. Daryl had no time to process this. His eyes were wide and his hands still at his sides. 
Her scent was that of forest and a light flower smell. Ah, so feminine. <laughs> uh, his eyes fluttered as the scent rose into his nose and made him shudder. He pulled her close and deepened the kiss, placing both hands on her hips. Beth was shocked to feel his hands even touch her, let alone him kiss back. Daryl, she gasped, out air backing up, her lips swollen and her hair a mess. Could we take this upstairs? She almost closed her eyes at how forward that was. Daryl stood up and swiped her off the ground and carried her to the, to the stairs. His body arched already from the day's activities, and a nice round of hot sex with Beth was the everlasting cure to that. Of course, he'd take it slow, being Beth and all. It sounded like I said ethanol, but, but, but Beth and all. Just wanted to throw that out there. As they bounded up the stairs, <laughs> I'm so sorry. I'm so lame. As they bounded up the stairs, she clung to him with fingers threaded in his messy locks. Happy Halloween. Happy Halloween, girl. Oh my god. Ah! It's like, okay, no, no shame. No shame. It is, Daryl is one of those characters from The Walking Dead that pretty much everyone has the hots for. It's just, it's just there. It's a thing. Um, yeah, I definitely don't blame this person for kind of idolizing that character. Um, I think actually Daryl might have been my favorite character when I watched The Walking Dead. It's been years. Like, I haven't watched that show in forever. Um, author's note just says, thanks for reading, and it has a few kudos and two comments. Brandy says, oh, that was fun and witty. Beth's prize was way better than Daryl's idea. Author responds, thank you. Alright, for our next one, I want to give you some context. This is, uh, happens to be number seven, which is Ice Cream Sundays and a Side of Knight in Shining Armor by you and me's. Now, this is an Astro, in parentheses, band fanfiction. So this is a fanfiction based off of a band. And that band, Astro, happens to be a South Korean boy band uh, formed by Fantagio or Fantagio that debuted in 2016. The group is come composed of six members, MJ, Jin Jin, Cha, Eunwoo, Moonbin, Rocky, and Yoon Sanha. They debuted with the single Hide and Seek from their uh, debut EP, Spring Up, and were substantially named by Billboard as one of the best new K-pop groups of 2016. All right, as always, I used a translator to understand how to pronounce the names and it actually wasn't that hard to figure out it honestly it never really is unless i come across something eventually that really trips me up I, for now the record has been it's actually not really that hard so if you find yourself tripping up on people's names because it's from a culture that you're not familiar with just try looking it up on some translating service and uh, hit that 
um, that hit that audio button and see how they pronounce it. Uh, it really helps. All right, so I already read the synopsis, so I'm going to read the author's notes. This is an old work of mine that I submitted on Tumblr last year that some of you may or may not have read, but I just wanted to join in on the spooky celebration plus something not angsty. Enjoy! Alright, here we go. And this one's pretty long as well, so strap yourself in. Dong Min considers himself to be a patient person. He keeps his cool whenever the other party arrives an hour late after their agreed time of meeting. He keeps his cool when he's faced with cranky old people who complain and yell at him when they're told their expired coupons aren't valid anymore. His co-workers and classmates can also agree on this, hence why he is so confident in calling himself a patient person. He supposes that's what being a vampire does to you. He does lose his cool, however, when he is stuck in a forest for a full six hours because of his feline friend, Moonbin. The half-human, half-cat had tailed a group of squirrels in, in midst of their hiking, another activity suggested by Bin. Squirrels lead to parks, Min. Ben hissed, trying not to let his voice be heard by the group of squirrels. Who knows? Maybe we'll find a new town. New and better people who aren't as hostile as those in Seoul. Heck, maybe we'll even meet more people like us. His friend reasoned, before proceeding to turn into his cat form and running off. Dong Min can't remember why he was persuaded with such an unlikely excuse, but he had followed trailed behind like a good pet owner and friend would. Maybe he did hope to meet people of his kind as well, or at least someone who wouldn't strike a wooden stake at his heart the second they knew about his true identity. It's been a little less lonely since he met Bin, an immortal shapeshifter, five centuries ago when he took the back-then-starved kitten into his home. Still, he supposes, it would be nice to turn their duo into a trio. The sun had set hours ago, and the full moon barely illuminates the path in front of their eyes. His whole body aches. He drank his last pack of blood early at dawn, but had spent too much energy from walking so much and has the urge to rip out his only friend's throat. And his phone died. Great. I'm sorry. Ben repeats, for the 78th time today, as he keeps his head down low. And I told you it's fine. Dong Min huffs. Instead of wasting your breath on guilt, use it to keep walking and find a way out of here. But I know you're not. Ben stops and turns to him. You can't fool me into thinking you've really forgiven me of this. He was right. Dong Min was still holding the grudge against his heart. But he had the habit of staying, of saying white lies too naturally. It was a habit he developed as he grew older, trying to get on everyone's good side in order to avoid messing with the wrong people and getting found out. Fine, he stops in his tracks. I'm not fine, and honestly, I'm not. I am not going to forgive you anytime soon if you keep apologizing and act all quiet like that. I admit, I'll. I'll only actually forgive you if we somehow make it out of here alive and actually keep your promise of meeting some people who don't hate us. 
Dongmen didn't know what came over him. Maybe it was exhaustion, the growing thirst for blood, or his growing desire to be accepted the way he is, in one way or another. If all that happens, and a knight in shining armor rescues us out of here, maybe then I'll forgive you. Ben only looks at him with a growing grin. And an ice cream sundae. What? Will you forgive me if I do all of that and get you your favorite mountain pile of ice cream sundae of my mom's an alien shooting star? All your favorite toppings with extra walnuts on top? Dong Min just stares at him. He blew up and just expressed how much he'll probably never forgive him, and that's what he's focused on? Ice cream? Dong Min's stomach would have rumbled at the first mention of Sunday if only his body still functioned like a proper human being. Yes, Bin, I will forgive you if you do all of that. Dong Min exhaled and walked on forward. Now can we please keep on walking until we at least find a good enough place to rest for the night? Okay. He could hear the grin in his voice. You better hold on to your words, my favorite vampire. Ben says, before shifting back into his cat form and scurrying off. Dong Min feels like he just made a deal with the devil. Ben's back on his energetic self, which should which should Dong Min glad about. Okay? Since he doesn't have to see sulking and moping around. But he could only handle so much of his best friend's antics in one day, with so little blood in his system. Ben, slow down. I don't have cat eyes like you to see in the night. Dong Min complains and rests against a tree. Let's just rest for tonight here. We've been walking for nearly eight hours now. The half feline looked like he wanted to complain, but said nothing. He walked back to where Dong Min was and rested his head on the vampire's thigh. Dong Min instinctively scratched his head and get gets a purr in return. Thanks, Benny. I still think we should walk a bit more. Something about this part of the forest doesn't sit right with me, he murmurs. Just give me a while. You know I'm not as young as I look. Moonbin snorts at the comment, and Dong Min smiles, as his exhaustion starts to take over him. If you're ever too tired or hungry, you know you could always drink from me if you really need it, right? Dong Min grimaces. His thirst of blood has gotten stronger from before, but he hates the thought of drinking from living creatures, especially if they're his best friend. I'm fine. I'm not too hungry, he lies. Besides, you know I don't like furry blood. He hears the half-feline hiss and feels his claws applying pressure on his thigh, but doesn't do anything else. He tries to forget his thirst and today's events, hoping... A shut of eye will bring him a peace of mind and praise that today was all a dream. Real quick, I think I forgot to mention that the rating on this is general audiences, M slash M, and strictly within uh, Astro Band fandom. Alright, back to the story. It wasn't a dream. Dong Min wakes up to Bin roughly shaking him awake and calling out his name. He can hear Bin's urging pleads to wake up, but he's too weak to open his eyes. Minnie, we gotta go. My cat instincts are saying something bad is here. I saw something shuffling towards us, and I really don't like it. We gotta go now. Mm, your cat instincts also told us that squirrels would lead us to a land of happiness 
and meet other supernatural beings. Now look where we are. Li Dongmin, this is not the time to be petty. I swear. I I saw and heard something out there. We have to get out now. Moon's been sorry, Moonbin's voice gets more urgent the more he talks. Five more minutes, Mom, Dongmin murmurs. A howl erupts from the quiet forest and Bin stops shaking him. He assumes he's taken his adult cat form. Dongmin still feels too weak to properly open his eyes. All he wants is sleep and blood. He hears a new set of footsteps getting louder through his strengthened hearing. Whatever or whoever they were, they were getting closer to where they were. He smells Bin's supernatural blood, normal animal blood, and another one similar to Bin's but stronger. He drowns in the sweet stench of blood nearing him, allowing his vampiric nature to take control. It makes him twitch in excitement, makes adrenaline flow through his entire exhausted body. He needs blood. Dongmin opens his eyes at the smell of new guests. He can feel the bloodlust taking over him, his fangs growing out and pupils dilating and turning black. Moonbin has his back on him, oblivious to the transformation that is happening to his friend. A creature leaps out of the shadows, and the first thing Dongmin notices is that the amount of blood he's covered in. Bin growls as he tries to put up a defensive stance. The large wolf growls back at him with a stronger threat laced in his voice. It's twice as larger as Bin's adult cat form. It takes a step forward and snarls, signing, signaling, I think they meant, that it's ready for a fight. Dongmin will forever remember how fast Bin ran and hid in the woods. Dongmin's bloodlust takes, sorry, makes him focus on what's between the mouth of the large wolf, a whole dead deer as it continues to bleed from what he thinks is from, a, from bite marks. Before the vampire could attack and, take the, to, and try to take the deer, the large wolf steps in front of Dongmin. The creature stares at him for a moment, and maybe it was because of the bloodlust that he wasn't seeing straight. But for a second, he sees the creature's eyes soften before setting down the prey before him. And being this close to wolf and smelling his, its blood makes him realize what the beast before him really is. A werewolf. He's too bloodthirsty to ask any questions, only digs in and drinks from the deer until he feels full and he feels himself returning to normal. He feels sated, feels like he could sleep for another eternity, but he has so many questions for the creature in front of him, wants to yell at Ben for being such a scaredy cat, but his exhaustion overpowers him and leads him to another deep sleep. The last thing he sees before he passes out is the werewolf stepping towards him. Sleep, Dongmin hears a voice too deep to be his inside his consciousness. You will get your answers soon. The next time Dongmin wakes up, dawn is breaking and he feels energized enough to open his eyes to the sight before him. He sees Moonbin in human form, resting beside him, and a new human with dark blonde hair at his back towards him, and watching the sunrise. As if sensing Dongmin's curious eyes, the stranger turns around and gives him a smile. His eyes crinkle, Dongmin notices, and that he's shirtless. Dongmin decides he is a very handsome and with very 
He is a very handsome, with very nice abs, stranger indeed. You're up! The blonde stranger greets him. You seem more conscious and humane than you were last night. Last night? The memory of last night rushes to him. The bloodlust, the stranger. Bin's frantic attempts to wake him. The taste of the deer he fed from. The werewolf. Y you! Dongmin shakily pointed his finger at the stranger. W werewolf! I prefer being called... Wait, n new name. Let me see, am I... Um, Jinu. Jinu, okay. I prefer being called Jinu, or your knight in shining armor, at least something a bit more flattering, but you're not exactly wrong either. Jinu, the werewolf, dismisses the remark with a shrug and walks toward Dongmin. He puts an arm around Bin's sleeping frame and exerts his fangs ready for a bite. And unless you want me to call you Count Dracula, I'm going to need a name. Janu ignores the protective stance he's taken and offers his hand. Dongmin stares at the stranger warily before shaking it. Uh, Li Dongmin. Nice to meet you, Li Dongmin. Do you perhaps have any extra shirts or jackets you don't mind lending? It's beginning to feel a bit chilly. Bin wakes up at around noon, when the sun is blazing high above the sky, and finds Dongmin getting to know his new supernatural stranger a bit. Pak Jinu was born in Isan, who ran away when his, he was 15, when he realized he couldn't control his werewolf abilities whenever the full moon came. He's been living on the run with a fake name as... Jinjin, for a while, and has met a few other supernatural beings along his path. Okay, my head's fuzzy last night. Can any one of you fill me in what happened last night? Ben asks as he sits on the log with the other two. Sure, where do you want to start from? When you ran away as soon as you saw me, or when you fainted? Jinwoo asks. Dongmin laughs as Ben grimaces. From the start would be nice, Bin mutters. I'm sorry, I was kidding. Jinwoo offers a small smile at the sulking boy. I went out to the woods because it was a full moon, and I still haven't been able to control my shifting powers with the moon out. I had just gotten myself a kill while I was out of it until I smelled supernatural blood around the woods. I followed the scent until it led me to you guys, he shrugged. And so you decided that pouncing and leaping out at us was a great way to make a first impression? Ben asked, unamused. My mom did teach me to make a hell of a first impression, Jinwoo joked, especially if I really wanted to impress people I liked. Jinwoo gave Dongmin a wink. Dongmin was so glad he didn't have any of his own blood to physically show that he was blushing. I didn't mean to scare you guys, though. I just wanted to say hi to people like me. But then I saw Dracula starving with blood, and I had a body in my mouth, so I couldn't properly introduce myself. You kind of just ran away without even giving me a proper high, though, so that's your own fault. Yeah, because you're literally a, you're literally a dog and twice as big as me. Specifically speaking, a werewolf. And see, I've always thought the tension between cats and dogs was always silly. Like, why can't we all get along and all? 
Just because our ancestors might not have liked each other doesn't mean we should continue hating each other. Jin Wu continues as he rambles continues on his rambles as Ben rejects any of his reasonable arguments with that doesn't give you a reason to scare a sleeping cat like that. Dung Min just watches their their banter, feeling like he's stuck in between dumb and dumber, and can't help but giggle at the situation. What's gotten you so cheery and smiley? Ben asks him, as soon as Jin Woo left to find a stream and wash up. Confusement expressed upon his face before he his eyes widened. Did the bloodlust finally fully take over you? Have you gone mad now? Oh my god. Dong Min's gone mad. I lost my best friend. Dong Min covers his best friend's loud mouth and laughs. I'm fine, Ben. Think I'm just a little happier now that I'm sated. He really doesn't know why today seems more cheerful. Maybe it was his co consciousness being glad he's finally able to make a new friend who's like them. Despite being lost in the woods. Maybe it was because it seemed like today they'll finally go back to civilization. Something about today just seemed better than other days, Dongmin thinks. You sure it's not because of pretty boy there who's been staring at you like a lovesick puppy since he's been here? Ben asks. What? Dongmin could hear his voice cracking. Ben's face splits into the biggest smug grin he's ever had the Dongmin had, and Dongmin really wants to rip his throat out now. You like werewolf boy, Ben yells, and jumps up from the tree stump at the new information. Ben, be quiet. He'll he's still near us, and his name is Jin Wu, he quietly adds. You didn't deny it, so that means you do like him, Ben exclaims. This is amazing. Dong Min actually having a crush on someone. He gasps again and widens his eyes. And on a furry. Dong Min just smiles and tugs his best friend back on the tree stump. He keeps a tight grip on his best friend's collar and forces him to look straight in his eyes. If you speak about this ever again, especially in front of Jin Woo, the next time a full moon comes, I'm going to lock you and him in a room together for a full night. And we both don't want that, do we? Dung Min threatens him with the sweetest tone he can he can raise. No, because you would want to lock yourself in a room with him because you like him. Ben blows a raspberry at him. His childish reply makes him loosen his vampire strength grip just enough that the half-feline jumps away from his grasp. Oh man, I can't wait to tell Jin Wu. Tell me what? Jin Wu's voice rings out from behind them. The two turn around and find a half-naked Jin Wu with wet hair coming out of the woods. Ben will never forget the squeal Dong Min made at that moment. Jin Wu, you're shirtless, Dong Min exclaimed and immediately wanted to die in a hole. The blonde shows confusion, his confusion at the sudden statement, but smiles either way. I did say I was going to wash up, and I'd feel bad if I didn't return your shirt. He replies and acts unfazed to, this, to his earlier comment. He's gotta be at least ha half part angel, <laughs> Dongmin thinks. No person as sweet and cute as the short built man in front of him shouldn't exist. I really like that. Half part angel. 
I should use that. I should use that. Anyways, I found a river that's not far from here. It will get you guys back on track to the nearest city. I'll help take you guys back there if you want. Oh, right, the city. Back to their old life of being the only supernatural being. Dongmin felt his heart broke. <laughs> okay, this, this has to be... There's a lot of errors in here, but it's kind of making the story better in a way, so I'm kind of happy about it. He liked Jinwoo's company. He forgot how much he hated hiking and exploring the outdoors. When Bin was persuading and explaining the concept and fun of the whole activity, whereas Jinwoo's entertaining stories of his travels had him hooked at every single sentence. He helped him by giving up his prey when he was in his own state of loss of self-control. Romantic feelings or not, he didn't want to separate from Jinwoo just yet. Hey Jinwoo, where do you live? The same city where the stream heads to. Why do you ask? He cocks his head in confusion as Dong at Dongmin's question. Can we visit you there sometime? Maybe when we don't crash into each other in the forest as our supernatural forms, but as best friend, sorry, as but as friends? The question comes out before he can properly think about it. He feels alive for the first time since he's turned with his heart about to burst through his chest as he curses at himself for letting his emotions get the best of him. Jinwoo smiles and his eyes crinkle at the same the same way they did when he woke up this morning and his heart beating faster for an entirely different reason. I'd love for you guys to visit me again. My friends back at my place would love to meet you guys. He starts chat animatedly about his friends, something about a uh, Sanha being a klutz and a Myung, Myungjun cracking the funniest of jokes and how his Minhyuk and, and Bin would get along so well. Dongmin listens about him describing his friends, but focuses more on the stars that shine in his eyes and amount of love Jinwoo holds for his three other friends. Dongmin realizes he wants to be loved and talked about by Jinwoo just as much. How about we visit you now? Would that be okay? This is getting way out of hand. It's not like... The Lee Dongmin to act his this irrational and ask to visit a stranger's home. Uh, oh, now? It'll get dark by the time we get there, though. I don't want to let you guys travel in the dark. Jinwoo's cheeks are pink and looks away from Dongmin. Unless you guys stayed there for the night. But the house is sort of cramped, not to mention it's super messy. And Young Jin, um, sorry. <clears throat> Youngjin keeps making his potions until dawn, and it'll be noisy with all his incantation. We want to stay there, is that okay? Dongmin doesn't remember how they got so close to each other to the point he can see the other's moles up close like this, but he doesn't mind. He likes seeing Jinwoo flustered up close like this. He looks back up to... Sorry, he looks back up at Dongmin and gives him a smile. I'd love that. I'd love that as well, Dongmin returns with a bigger smile. 
Ben watches the conversation and flirting match from the side with wide grin. He mentally checks out the boxes beside getting out of the forest and finding Dogman's shining knight in shining armor, one large mountain of ice cream sundae to go, and he'll be fully forgiven. Author's Notes This is an old work of mine that I submitted on Tumblr last year that you may or may not have read back then, but just wanted to... I think this is the same thing from the beginning. Maybe one day I'll revisit this universe and write about Sanha, Minhyuk, Endi, Minyoung, Jin, and all the gang being together, even if it isn't Halloween anymore. Thank you for reading. Tell me what you thought about it through a comment or a kudos or bookmark, but no pressure. I hope you have a lovely day and Halloween. This has a pretty good amount of kudos, but no comments. Alright, our next one happens to be number 15 of Halloween Socks and Poor Timing by Orphan Account. This is a general audience's rating, M slash M, and strictly within Merlin TV fandom. Alright, so in case you didn't know, Merlin is a drama TV show from 2008. This action-packed fantasy drama revisits the saga of King Arthur and his wizard Merlin by focusing on the two characters when they were ambitious young men struggling to understand their destinies. In this telling, Prince Arthur, sorry, Prince Arthur is known to be the heir to the throne, no sword from the stone here, and he is acquainted with all those who will one day form the legend of Camelot, including Lancelot uh, Genevieve and Morgana. Merlin is also forced to deal with King Uther's Great Purge, which bans all use of magic. First episode aired September 20th, 2008. Um, you can watch it for free on Pluto TV if you really want to. Alright, and just to specify, the relationship here is between Merlin and Arthur Pendragon. Okay, uh, author's notes. First work in this fandom, please leave a review to tell me what you think. Here we go. No one knew he was wearing silly Halloween socks under his patent leather shoes. His sister Morgana had mailed them to him as a gift from her travels in America attached to a note that said she'd been doing well. It was obvious she didn't intend for him to actually wear the socks, but he had no other opinion, sorry, option that morning. He rationalized to himself that it didn't matter. No one would see his socks anyway. What he wasn't counting on was his secretary Merlin walking into his office unannounced and then dissolving into a fit of laughter it wasn't that Merlin walking in unannounced was a strange occurrence, nor was Merlin laughing at him, for that matter, which was something he really should talk to him about one day, as it was poor form to laugh at one's employer. Arthur scowled at the tall, gangly man. What? he asked harshly. Merlin held up a hand, signaling for Arthur to wait while he finished laughing. I just never thought I'd see you wearing socks with little jack-o'-lanterns on them, he said with a grin. Back to work, 
Arthur told him gruffly, blushing furiously as he took his own advice. Of course, sire, Merlin countered, cheekily ducking out of the room. After a moment, though, he peeked his head back in. For the record, I think they're cool. Scene is changing. Are you dressing up for the staff party? Merlin asked casually the next morning, leaning against Arthur's office door with his ankles and arms crossed. Don't you have work to do? Arthur answered without preamble, not even looking up from his desk. Merlin shrugged. Nothing more important than asking you if you're dressing up. So, when Arthur didn't ask, sorry, when Arthur didn't answer, Merlin just continued on. I'm going as Merlin like the wizard, he said. From the legends? Because it's my name? Get it? When Arthur looked up expressionless, Merlin was wearing a big goofy grin. I get it, he answered, monotone. So you're not dressing up as anything, I take it? Merlin asked, and if he looked disappointed, it was probably just Arthur's imagination. I'm not even going, he responded. Looking at his desktop, he glanced back at Merlin before looking back at the spreadsheet he had open. Now seriously, I know I pay you for something. Merlin bowed dramatically. As you wish, my lord. Arthur scowled at him as he left, but his expression had relaxed as Merlin returned. I like the socks today. By the way, candy corn is my favorite. That's it. We're switching you to decaf. Uh, scene is changing. It was Monday after work, and Arthur stood in the center of a Halloween costume shop, confused. He hadn't dressed up in years, not seeing the point of the childish holiday. And he didn't know why he was letting Merlin, of all people, get to him like this. Do you need help, sir? An employee of the shop, who was dressed as a vampire, asked. Arthur looked at him, startled out of his thoughts. Uh, yeah. He cleared his throat. Yeah, do you have any King Arthur-type costumes? Scene is changing. So have you changed your mind about going to the party? Merlin asked the next day. Arthur shook his head this time, fighting a little to keep his face blank. Nope, I'm just going to stay home. You're rather boring, you know that? The secretary asked, walking up to Arthur's desk. Been told that, yeah, he confirmed, ignoring the fact that Merlin was now leaning forwards on his desk, palms down on the wood surface. Well, until he fe felt Merlin poke at his ankle with his toe, Arthur jerked his foot away, gl glaring up at Merlin. What the hell, Merlin? Little ghosties, he replied with a grin, straightening up and walking out. Cute! Seen this changing? Fuck you and your novelty socks, Arthur grumbled into the phone that evening. What's wrong, dear brother? Morgana drawled, on the other end of the line, sounding relaxed. Arthur scowled, even though she couldn't see. My damn secretary, Merlin. You've met him, right? Anyway, you sent me the, those socks, yeah? And I've been wearing them because my fucking washer, my fucking washer is broken and everything else I've got has holes, and Merlin has the audacity to tease me about it. Morgana hummed, along noncommittally. Sounds like someone's besotted, she replied easily. What? Arthur said into the phone, with much more force than was necessary. I am not besotted. He's the worst secretary in the history of the job, and he's always so damn cheerful, 
It just gets on my nerves. I meant Merlin, but now I see the feelings mutual, Morgana interrupted. Arthur paused in his, in his tired, maybe a little, he muttered. Not my fault he's bloody gorgeous. Are you going to do anything about it? She asked. He shook his head. No, no, of course not. He works for me. It would be inappropriate. She shrugged. You've done far worse than this. That can't be the only reason. We wouldn't be a good fit. What about you and Sophia? Or you and Vivian? Neither of those were good fits, but you weren't for it anyway. But you went for it anyway. Where's the fearless Arthur Pendragon that I grew up with? She teased. Shut up, he muttered. I will hang up on you. You do realize. All right. Ask him out, will you? Arthur ignored her. Be safe in America, dear sister, he said, then hung up the phone. Scene is changing. Skull and crossbones, Merlin remarked. Much more manly, though the purple does it in a bit. I didn't ask your opinion, but you know you wanted it, Merlin said in his usual cheerful manner. Arthur just sighed and didn't answer, but Merlin didn't leave. You sure you're not going to the party tomorrow? He asked. Yes, I am, Merlin, he answered evenly, lying through his teeth. If he saw Merlin's face fall a bit, well, that was probably just because it's what he wanted to see. Well, all right then, he said, sounding slightly put out. It'll be a good time, you know. You should come, even if you don't want to dress up. I'm not going. He let himself sound a little apologetic as he said it, because he didn't like seeing Merlin so dejected. Merlin shrugged. Okay. Scene is changing again. Now you're absolutely certain you're not coming tonight, Merlin asked on the morning of the 31st. You can still change your mind. I'm not going to change my mind, Merlin, Arthur said steadily. No one would think less of you, you know. It's a mark of a good leader to mingle amongst his people. Arthur rolled his eyes. I haven't taken over the company yet, and I have no plans to. Merlin shrugged. Still a good thing to keep in mind. He started to leave and then paused in the doorway. I like the wizard caps, by the way. And then he was gone. Arthur had been hoping he would. Scene is changing. He would be lying if he said he didn't feel ridiculous in the cab on the way to the restaurant where the staff was meeting. He had a plastic crown on his head, a fake sword through his belt, and a red cape around his shoulders. When he got to the party, he was greeted by a few co-workers who'd already had a few drinks and were glad to see him, but he was looking for Merlin, whom he couldn't find anywhere. Eventually, he managed to find Leon, one of the other managers. Have you seen Merlin tonight? He asked. Leon shook his head. Beginning, yeah. Think he went home, though. Arthur cursed. Scene is changing. Twenty minutes later, Arthur was standing in front of Merlin's apartment door, questioning his own sanity. But he swallowed his pride and knocked, hearing Morgana's teasing voice in the back of his mind. Knowing it would become a reality if he didn't go through with this. The door was answered by Merlin, wearing a pair of flannel pants and an old t-shirt. He looked at Arthur in shock as the other shifted awkwardly. I went to the party to look for you, Arthur said after a moment, looking anywhere but into blue eyes. Merlin was still standing there, gaping like a fish, but after a moment he managed to regain his composure. 
Are you dressed as King Arthur? He asked stupidly. Well, you said you were going as Merlin, and I thought maybe he let that trail off. I thought you weren't going, Merlin countered. Arthur shrugged. I wanted to surprise you, but then you weren't there. I went, Merlin protested. I just didn't really feel up to socializing. Oh, well, if you want me to go, I can, he offered, not really wanting to be turned away when he'd gone through with his plan. Merlin shook his head vehemently. No, no, stay. He stood to the side. You can, uh, come in if you want. Actually, there's something I'd like to do first, Arthur said, taking a few steps into the apartment and into Merlin's personal space. But what he wasn't expecting was for Merlin to step forwards and meet him halfway, pressing their mouths together. I wasn't about to let you do that first, Merlin murmured, when they pulled apart, arms around each other, and foreheads pressed gently together. I've been wanting to do that since I saw your damn jack-o'-lantern socks, and I knew there were... Sorry, there was more than than the cold, manly exterior you put on. Sorry, that was hard to read for some reason. Hey, Arthur protested, leaning back slightly to, to easier look Merlin in the eye. I'm plenty manly. Merlin laughed. Sure you are. Then I didn't see little lollies on your socks, did I? No, you most certainly didn't, didn't, Arthur grinned and leaned in for another kiss. Maybe they fit better than he thought. This says a wall of kudos and 14 comments. Hello, Earthlings, says dying of cute. Author responds, I'm glad you like it, smiley face. Brand new world to see, says absolutely adorable. You did great, hun, smiley face. Author responds, thank you, glad you liked it. The Sass Master says, this was so adorable, I absolutely loved it, wonderful job, I can't stop smiling. Smiley face. Author responds, thank you. Super Calvin says, Arthur's socks are so cute, I love how he wanted to dress up to match Merlin, so well done. Author responds, haha, thanks. Brunette Pet says, Arthur is so cute and transparent to everyone but Merlin. He better send Morgana a thank you card for the novelty socks. They were just the icebreaker he and Merlin needed. Author responds, I'm glad you liked it. Thank you for commenting. Smiley face. The fandom, the fandoms that waited says, oh my heart. Author responds, I'll take this as a good thing. So thank you. Smiley face. <coughs> oh, excuse me. Enraptured Reader says, this is so cute, I love it, thank you. And author responds, glad you liked it, smiley face. Alright, this will be our last one, which happens to be number 9, The Impersonation Game by French Key. Uh, this is a teen and up rating, M slash M, and it's within Marvel Cinematic Universe, The Avengers, and that's it. And uh, just for context, the relationship is between James Bucky Barnes and Clint Barton. Author's notes. This fills square G3 cap, Bucky slash Hawkeye, for our Winter Hawk bingo. Hope you enjoy the shenanigans. Mm. Alright, let's get started. Clint's giggling was supremely unhelpful, 
Given that they were hiding in a closet, avoiding certain death. Would you shut it? Bucky hissed. We're gonna get caught. Clint smothered another giggle in his hand. I'm sorry, he huffed, trying to get himself under control. You just look so ridiculous. Bucky looked him up and down in the dim light of the single bulb. Like you're so much better, he huffed. Excuse me? I put time and effort and care into this costume. You just waltzed down to the dollar store and bought the crappiest outfit you could find. Yeah, cause it'll drive Stevie nuts, Bucky said. They both froze suddenly as they heard a door banging somewhere in the distance. They caught each other's eyes and Bucky winced. Clint pointed up and made a questioning face. Bucky gave a sharp nod and boosted Clint up so he could remove the vent cover. Why am I going first? Clint asked as he climbed into the vent. It's cause you want to stare at my ass, isn't it? I know it's a really nice ass, but we're kinda in hot water here, and if you're keeping that shield on you shield on you, we're gonna need you to go first so I can help you out of it help you out if you get stuck. That was a long sentence. <laughs> I'm not gonna get stuck, Bucky growled. Another door banged, this one closer. Just go, Barton. We're not exactly in a defensible position here. Bucky watched as Clint shimmied into the tight space, his wide shoulders making it just as difficult for him. The company floors didn't have very accessible vents, and Clint had biceps to kill for. He had an ass to kill for, too. He'd been right about that. It looked especially nice in a skin-tight purple bodysuit. Bucky pulled himself up into the vents after Clint. As he wriggled, a yelp reverberated around the space some poor SI employee getting startled. Where are they? Steve growled, a little closer to the closet than Bucky was happy with. Move, 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 he hissed, smacking Clint in the calf to try to spur him on. Clint let out a high-pitched squeak, and they heard Stevie's footsteps thundering closer. Shit, Clint hissed, wriggling forward an inch or two at, at a time. Bucky was almost all the way in, just the toes of one foot still dangling when the closet door burst open below them. Get back here, asshole! Steve bellowed, swiping at Bucky's foot. Bucky yelped and tugged his foot in, out of the way. Go, go, go! Steve was still yelling incoherently after them as they crawled away. Luckily, his big dumb shoulders were even bigger than Clint's and there was no way for him to actually fit in the vents to come after them. They wriggled and slithered and climbed until they finally reached the wider vents of the common areas. He'll expect us to go to your, to your rooms, Bucky murmured, hoping the sound wouldn't carry. He knew Steve would have had a chance to get ahead of them, and he didn't want to get caught yet. They only had to make it another half hour until the party started. Well, he lives with you, so so yours aren't a great idea either, Clint hissed back, looking a little ruffled and not dissimilar to Alpine after he'd been forced into the bath. We might be safe in the kitchen, Bucky suggested. There were likely to be lots of people they could hide behind, at least. Thor wouldn't let Steve kill them. Thor was nice like that. Jesus, this wig keeps slipping, Clint huffed, blowing hair out of his mouth again. How does Nat deal with these things? Bucky stopped crawling for a moment to sigh. 
You forgot the hairpins, didn't you? Clint paused. I forgot the hairpins, he said. I need hairpins. How did you forget? Bucky asked. You helped Nat with their hair and wings, sorry, wigs, for missions, all the goddamn time. How? Clint turned around to point at Bucky. Because I'm an idiot, he suggested. You are, you absolutely are. And I'm not kissing you while you're all dolled up to look like Kate, so you can stop with the face and get with the crawling. Clint huffed, but started moving again. It was much easier to navigate the vents on the Avengers floors. Tony had specifically overhauled them as soon as he realized that Clint liked to retreat to them when he was stressed or upset, or sometimes just to cause a little chaos. They were also incredibly useful in the event of a villainous invasion, as Clint could use them to get around and pop out in unusual places to shoot intruders, often also in unusual places. Okay. If we drop out from the vent beside Pepper's room on Tony's floor, we can make a run for her bathroom and I can grab some pins, Clint said, wiggling his hips a little more than necessary. After that, back into the vents and down to the communal kitchen. All right, we've got T minus 26 minutes until the party starts, Bucky said. All we have to do is stay alive until then. If we can do that, we're gold. The pin heist went off without a hitch, and Clint adjusted his wig so that it stopped sliding around on his head. They made it back into the vents without being spotted and headed for the kitchen. They could hear Thor's booming laughter and Darcy's high giggles as they approached. They paused over the vent cover, peering around and listening carefully. Clint flashed a thumbs up, and the two of them dropped down into the kitchen, landing lightly. Put your hands up, and I'll consider sparing your balls. Their hands went up immediately as they took in the sight of Kate, dressed as Catwoman, aiming a Nerf arrow, arrow right at Clint's crotch. Bucky winced and took a step away. You look ridiculous, she said, eyeing them both up critically. A cheap onesie, Barnes? You can do better than that. And as for you, Clinton, Francis Barton, those boobs aren't even... Now give me a glass, sorry, now give me my glasses back and go fix your boobs. Yeah, you like, you look like a bleeding Picasso, Darcy added, cackling to herself over whatever reference she'd just made. Clint shot her a betrayed look. Bucky slided off, sidled off to hide behind Thor while Kate was dress, dressing Clint down. Clint wilted at her words and turned to Bucky for support, only to find him gone. But the aviators were are iconic, Clint tried, throwing some puppy eyes at Kate. She remained unmoved. Clint dejectedly, sorry, dejectedly pulled Kate's sunglasses off and held them out. She took them with a smile, reminiscent of a shark. Bucky remained as ever, terrified of what she could accomplish if she ever decided to turn against them. Here, she said, pulling a soft case out of her pocket. Wear these. They're knockoffs, so I'm not going to care if you break them once, once you're drunk. But for God's sake, fix those damn boobs. They managed five minutes of peace for Clint to even himself out and get his boobs back in place. With Kate complimenting the construction of his suit, it was surprisingly well made for a costume he only planned on using once. Unfortunately, five minutes was all they got, 
The door flew open, interrupting Kate in the middle of laughing at Bucky's adamant refusal to accept kisses from Clint while he was dressed as her. Steve barged in, looking furious, with Tony falling behind him, phone in hand and looking bored. Buck, give me my fucking shield back, Steve yelled, advancing rapidly toward them. Bucky danced backwards, out of the way. Language, he scolded. I'll show you fucking language, you fucking ass. Give me the goddamn shield, dickface. No, Bucky whined. I need it for the costume. Steve lunched again, and Bucky had just enough time to toss the shield to Clint before he found himself in a headlock. He missed the days when he could just hold Steve at arm's length until he wore himself out. Tony rolled his eyes at the both of them. Steve, that thing is indestructible, he said, ignoring the wrestling going on in front of him. He's not exactly going to break it. You've got about 15 minutes to get your costume on before the party starts. Let the shield go and get changed. Clint stared at them all from behind the shield, eyes wide with terror, as Bucky saw him come to the realization that Steve was probably going to come for him next. Bucky was also a super soldier. He could withstand whatever Steve decided to throw at him. Clint, on the other hand, was very squishy and human. Maybe this hadn't been the world's best idea. Steve, Tony huffed. Come on! Steve let go of Bucky and pouted at Tony. But what if he chips the paint? Then I'll repaint it. Don't worry. Sorry, we don't have time for this. Come on, mush, he said, flapping his hands and herding Steve out of the kitchen. Clint waited for Steve to disappear down the hall before turning to Bucky again. Definitely do not ever tell him that my ass was on that thing while you were getting ready. Darcy and Kate both choked on their drinks, trying to keep from laughing. I told you not to sit on it, Bucky said. Clint shrugged. When am I going to get another chance to sit on Captain America's actual shield, he asked, philosophically. Now someone pass me some vodka. I've had a difficult afternoon. This has a wall of kudos and 13 comments. Faustus says, this is hilarious, and I could imagine them doing this too, lol. A couple of disasters, xd. Um, J of Olympus says, ah, thank you so much. We had fun writing it, so we're glad you enjoyed it. There's a reason we always use the idiots in love tag for these two. Looney Loopy Lisa says, this is fun. Author responds, thank you so much. Magenta Llama says, thank you so much for this fic. I enjoyed it a lot. Author responds, thank you. Red is not my color says, oh my, I laughed so much. Thanks for this. Author responds, we're really happy you enjoyed it. Thank you for commenting. Hopelessly Me says, LMAO, I really needed this today. Author responds, I'm glad it came at the perfect time for you then. Heart emoji. Shattered Hourglass says, they're menaces. I love them. Author responds, they truly are. Thank you so much for reading, and we're glad you enjoyed it. And then French Key comments, they're absolutely... Absolutely menaces. Okay. All right. Well, that is it for our very special Halloween uh, bonus episode. Hope you enjoyed it. Um, as always, if you have any idea, um, any ideas for fandoms that you want me to read from, definitely let me know about that. 
and I will be happy to read those for you, especially if they are spooky ooky. All right, that's it.